Hi, this is Kate Whitmore, and I certify this podcast is regulation length, correct size, and I'm definitely signing off on it. As the unofficial voice of goaltenders worldwide, In Goal Radio, the podcast is now officially compliant by way of the guru, Kay Whitmore, who also goes by the Senior Director of Hockey Operations with the National Hockey League. He is one of the the most powerful men in hockey, especially when it comes to goaltending, and he will be our feature guest on Episode 9 of In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, Sorcerer Sports, thehockeyshop.com. I'm Darren Millard. This is access you simply will not find anywhere else. Offering a conversation with the likes of Henrik Lundqvist in this episode. A listener question answered by the number one goaltender of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that is just part of episode nine. Spending some significant time with Kay Whitmore, catching up with David Hutchison, and and of course, sending Kevin Woodley out and about. Kevin? Yeah, Darren, this is uh, week three of the Hockey Shop Source for Sports as the title sponsor of the Ingle Radio Podcast, and that means another week I get to head into the shop, a little slice of goalie heaven, talk to Cam Matwiv. This week we're going to talk about the new CCM JetSpeed FT2 goalie skates with their XSG holder, which is, of course, the, the first CCM goalie skate that has no cowling and cam broke it down for us all the new custom options which may be just as exciting once you get to know about the new fit and the, and the new build on the skate um as exciting as the fact it's got no cowling so we'll, we'll go over those details with cam uh, of course i'm lucky i get to go to the hockey shop source for sports out here in surrey in the lower mainland of vancouver in person they've been in my, my backyard and there's a reason i go there for all my goalie needs an entire floor dedicated to the position a staff that all plays the position uh, some of the best skate sharpening in the lower mainland. People drive for hours to get Cecil and his crew to sharpen their skates. Uh, but not everybody can come here. Not everybody gets the opportunity to visit in person. And for those, I would recommend you head to the website, thehockeyshop.com, for all your goaltending needs. They've got the latest. They've got full reviews up on the CCM Flex 4, on the Bauer 2X Pro line, and, of course, on what we're going to talk about today the CCM FT2 goalie skates. They've already got on-ice testing, on-ice reviews on their website. And of course, whenever we have new product, that means sale on the old stuff. So make sure you check out thehockeyshop.com if you can't visit in person. Check them out for all, all your goaltending needs. KW, thank you. Uh, David Hutchinson also has needs. You have a lot of needs. Most of it involves ointment and, and, and making sure your body feels good because you... David Hutchinson are one of two goaltenders that are over the age of 50 that we will hear from in episode nine, you and Kay. Uh, 50 is the new 40 or 50 is the new 20. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel much slower, much slower. I am super looking forward to uh, to listening to Kay today and, uh, and your chat with him. Um, we read so much about the regulations. We talk so much about the changes to gear over the years. And now we actually get to hear from the guy um, behind the scenes. And for me, it's, it's fascinating just because obviously this is somebody who's, I mean, he's played the game, he loves the game, he cares about the future of the game. And so to hear the perspective that's behind all the changes that he's making, that he's not really just the Grinch who stole goaltending, uh, he's, he's out there trying to make the game better for everybody. It's, it's going to be really fascinating to hear, uh, hear what he had to say. And he still plays. And, and that was part of the conversation that, that I thought was important to get across. 
in in compliant gear, I understand as well. well one of the two goalies, yeah, <laughs> in, in that skate. But uh, yeah, and and the fact that he really feels it's uh, it's it's important. So who's uh, who's Kay the higher skilled goaltender when you guys are facing each other, Darren? Well, you know what, I I don't like to brag, but I did win the last time that we played. But we didn't switch teams when we when we got to five. We just kept on going, and I had the much better team. Who who did you so, have? Who are you playing with there? That's good. Uh, just just a, just a few different guys from our, from around the uh, the NHL office. They're all young. They're all college guys or, or junior guys or pro guys, and uh, and it's a, it's a really good skate, way above my pay grade. Uh, K is really really good, but I had the much better team. And you've got so I, and the non compliant gear. Oh yeah, yeah. I cheat in 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 every aspect, and the guys even laugh about it. They and you know when you, when you when you're skating with these guys that know all the rules, you just step on the ice and they're going, like, "Yeah, nice job with the toe, nice job <laughs> with your straps." And I, I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, exactly what I do. I'm I'm cheating." Uh, well, and and it goes down to personal preference, right? Uh, it it varies from all the different manufacturers. The one constant uh, hutch is that there's that little KW on each yes. piece of pads or gloves or chesty or pants that's worn in the NHL that is your ears your stamp of approval from Kay Whitmore and we got the green light to chat with Kay about his time both playing goal in the National Hockey League actually going back to his earliest days uh, tending the crease and now his current role as he patrols the position in the National Hockey League I've never had the opportunity to talk to you about certain things. One is, who is your hero when you were growing up? Goalie wise, yeah. Who who got you at? Who got you? Who captured your attention from a goaltending standpoint? That's a good question. I think uh, hockey wise, it was a young age with Bobby Orr, but not. I know where we're going with this question. That didn't lead me to wear number four like certain goalies do nowadays. They have idols like nineteen and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think I grew up. You grew up in Northern Ontario, and I went to a lot of junior hockey games. You know, the Sudbury Wolves were the local team, so you went and watched. I remember way back watching Jim Bedard play. Um, I was really young at that point. It was probably one of. 600 people at the games there was nobody there but when then Don Beaupre came along and Don Beaupre was someone I loved watching play I loved his butterfly I loved his gear and it was just I guess I was a guy I kind of followed when I was younger and um, just because it was local I got to see him live it was just one of those things and obviously uh, he, he had a great career he had a great run in Washington Minnesota all these places and it was uh, I think that was a guy that I looked up to I think I was fortunate enough at the time uh, living at home with my parents that I go, they took me to enough games, but my also my aunt and uncle living in Kitchener, they had uh, billeted some players. They billeted Brian Bellows. They had uh, Wendell Young was a good friend there, Al McGinnis. So these guys, I think one night after a game in Sudbury, they came down and had some pizza at my mom's house, and you, know, you got to meet some of the best players in the NHL at the time. Scotty Stevens was there, Al McGinnis. These guys are all you know guys that you end up starting to play with once in a while against. But uh, at a young age, you got to see and be around a little bit. But uh, like I said, Dumbo was a guy Wendell Young was a player you watch him play in junior you got to know them a little bit and uh, you kind of you idolize them a little bit and they uh, you wanted to do what they were doing you're almost in the perfect job because it's hard to find a picture of you that doesn't uh, that doesn't have the good gear like you were always <laughs> color coordinated I think yeah I think it's funny because now um, 
if anyone, if I ever get a set of gear, they want to do retro old brown and stuff. I'm like, no, 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 I had enough of that stuff early on. But yeah, they're, I think in the Hartford days, the green and blue and the white patterns, the mask, um, I couldn't ever settle on, you know, you can see some of my old cards. I had a, a different blocker from catcher and my pads changed from uh, one card to the next. But there was the years where you went to camp and you, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to wear. And it wasn't about the money. It was just about getting that feel. But uh, yeah, you know, you never think of it at the time, but uh, there was some pretty cool looking gear. When you look back at some of those cards, the backup goalie towel is, is into <laughs> is is in a lot of them. And Mike McKenna pointed this out. Like, he, your one of your cards was his favorite card because of the backup goalie towel. We're trying to bring it back a little bit. I think that's I I'm surprised that it went away because I thought that. It was a great way to stay warm. Mm-hmm. It fit right underneath your jersey uh, and kept you warm, and it looked good. And uh, unfortunately, I think there's probably a large percentage of my hockey cards <laughs> have me skating around with the backup towel on and my partner snowing up the crease getting ready to start the game. <laughs> you still play. Do you think that's an important part about your job because you still get out there and you're, you're active in 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 playing so you you get to experience uh, the gear and the changes and the shots and the sticks and, and everything that goes along with it yeah I think I think it, it does I think I tried to stay current with it for a long time I think I probably didn't play for 15 years after retiring but uh, the last two or three I thought you know as you get further removed from playing it's important to try to, to be able to talk the talk. You got to be able to wear the new skates, wear the new pads, to, you know, loosen your pads, have them rotate, have a toe, you know, don't have the old toe buckle on and that get bent and breaks all the time. You try to try to wear what today's guys are wearing and get a feel for what it's like. Obviously, you're not playing at that level and the speed that they face and the way the guys shoot, but I, it just gives me a better understanding of what, what they're going through in a sense based on the equipment. Um, I always try to pride myself, and I'll say that to the guys when I talk to them now. It's it's important to stay current. I never wanted to be the guy that forgot what it was like to, to have played or where you came from. So, you know, getting opinions of today's players um, that, you know, I haven't played in 17 years. It's a long time ago. The game's changed a lot. So getting, you know, honest opinions from today's guys, I value a lot of the guys that I talk to all the time. And uh, having to being aware of the gear and, you know, seeing how guys can shoot even at a lower level with the stick technology and all that stuff, I think it gives me a better understanding um, in what I can talk to these guys about and, you know, on a lower level anyway. So did you have that aha moment with a new p- way people wear pads? I'm almost there. I yeah. still, I still am prone to tightening them too tight. Um, and guys are like, you got to loosen them. I'm like, man, they're going to fall off. So I'm, I'm kind of in between. I've almost got it perfectly now where I can, I get them to rotate and the pad actually does the butterfly for me and not my <laughs> hips and that like they used to, but, uh, I'm getting close and it's funny, even though you haven't played a long time and we play what once every couple of weeks at the office and that with those skates that you come to all the time, um, or a couple alumni games, it's still, how do you get that feeling of when you're gear feels great you feel great and mm-hmm. uh you don't play enough it's easier when you're on the ice every day um, but now you know every couple of weeks it's harder to get to that point but i tell you what i'm almost there did is the mask you you wear was your flames mask that was from your last stop yeah was that the same exact mask that you wore the entire time or do you did you have a few different ones same manufacturer. Uh, okay. I, I had a few different ones. I different was, ones. Unfortunately, they weren't as. Because gen- John, like John Garrett, he just painted over his right. mask all, all the time. Well, no, I, that happened a couple times. I think I had. Uh, 
one paint, one or two I had painted over. They, the teams weren't as generous, or I didn't ask as much in those days. They, that you kind of took your mask with you, and then you know, one time, you know, I think I was in Boston or someone. It just was painted black. It was in Providence. Put a couple stickers on it. You paint over it. You know, it's unfortunate you lose the artwork. Now they become such a, you know, a keepsake for guys that you want to keep it on your bar. You want to keep it in your office. But unfortunately, the Flames one I wear now um, is still a Greg Harrison. I still won't go on the ice without it. It fits me fits well it's in great shape obviously i was only in calgary one year when i got it uh, it was my last year so you played uh, one game for the flames in that match one, one loss for the flames yeah, yeah. i spent uh, about a month on the bench when verney had a bad groin and i think roman turk had a couple injuries so i got to spend a little time there uh, it was a great experience with those two guys but uh we went one one loss on my record for the flames three one to to Tampa Bay, I believe it was. Wow. Marty St. Louis scored. I think Jason Cullimore might have scored. I can't remember the other one, but it was uh, it was a fun trip because I think the the most noteworthy part about that was we'd had a big dust up a couple games before that against Anaheim where almost all the guys on both teams that get thrown out. So uh, I think Greg Gilbert was a coach at the time. He was suspended. So Al McNeil was coaching. He probably didn't know my name and stuff at the time. <laughs> no, Al's a great guy. I'm just being funny. But it was funny because we had a bunch of guys suspended and you're just out there playing and uh, you get the call that more. Hey, by the way, you're playing tonight. He's like, oh, okay, you're great. I haven't played in a while in this league, but it was, yeah, it was, it was nice to get one game in there. Who was your first win against? When you're a whaler, there's only one team you really want to beat, and it was against the Bruins at home, 4-2. Really? Yeah, it was. Uh, guys, guys played great. Like I, I always remember the the first game like yesterday because I think I was sitting in the dressing room between Dave Babich, John Anderson, and you got to think of the characters that were on my team. It's a lot of facial on, hair. A lot of facial hair. Just guys that. They weren't going to let you be too nervous. They were just keeping you light. Ronnie Francis is your captain. You you go Randy Latticer is there, Joel Quenville, Ray Ferraro, Samuelson. You think of all the guys that are still in hockey and either broadcasting or coaching. There was a lot of them in that room that day, and we went out, and we, we beat the Bruins 4-2. I, you know, I remember both goals like yesterday. Um, I think uh, Craig Janney back, banked one in from behind the net off the back of my knee, and that was the first one I'd ever give it up in the league. And then I think the other one was a beautiful cross-corner dump. Bruce Crowder skated into a one-timer, hammered it off the far post it was one of those ones where probably not stopping that ever um and you know it was good it was a good start and um it was fun it was obviously you're playing at home against the Bruins and you know you, you've been drafted fairly highly so people have like some high expectations and to get that first one was great are you relieved that this year is is almost over in the sense that you've now are, are we through the adjustments do you think in, in equipment in the tweaks and like the major changes We've done the pads, we've done the pants, we've done uh, upper body and chest. It seems like we're through it. Like this, and this might have been the biggest challenge for you was was the uh, the chest and arm. Yeah, I, I think by far. I think the pants took a little longer than we wanted. Um, we had a couple mistakes along the way, uh, manufacturing wise, where some padding was omitted, so we had to put the brakes on. And obviously, implement mid season wasn't ideal. There wasn't. A lot of happy goalies when we did that but you know we it was what we had to do at the time but the chest protector was something that we you know I wouldn't have thought it was going to be this difficult but there are a lot of parts to it it is one of the pieces that goalies change the least that they're most particular about and it's obviously protects a lot of vital areas and uh, I think to make any mistakes 
um, with the protection in this area was going to, you know, be catastrophic. So we took our time. Um, you know, we working with the Player Association. Matthew Snyder was very supportive, as were Rob Zepp and Dave Sinclair, who've worked hand in hand with me the whole way, and it's been a collaborative effort. But we wanted to make sure if we're going to do this right, we're going to get it right one time, not try to, you know, unroll it out and have problems. So we took an extra year, and you know, we learned a lot of things the first time. You know, you you. You play on the manufacturer's experience and their knowledge to say, hey, can you do this? This is what my vision is. We want it to look less square. We want it to fit better, not as wide, contoured, you know, slope here and this and that. But, you know, you get these dumb looks like, how do you want it done? You know, so you go back to the drawing board. You know, I always have these buddies that engineers and architects, and these people, some of them work with the military and they you joke. You smart buddies. Yeah, I got smart buddies. I try to try to associate with smart people. It <laughs> makes me feel a little smarter. Um, but, you, you know, you're sitting at All-Star and you're like, I don't get it. What's so difficult about your chest protector project? Just spec it out. Spec it out and build it. You know, like this guy's working in the military and you're yeah. building th- things that save people's lives and you're sitting there going, eh, spec it out. All right. You know, it's like, you know, even Coley said that. It's like, we just tell these guys how to build it. But at first you're trying to be careful and say, I don't want to go too far out here and say how to build it. And if it doesn't work, I'm not an expert in designing equipment. I've worn it a lot, but I'm not, I don't want to get ourselves in trouble here either. But once we learned, you know, we went through this process of like, you know, we see this 3D scanner thing I saw once where they tried, we were doing a project on shoulder pads. So the, the player had shoulder pads on and they did a scan. You could see where the body was in relation to the shoulder pad and they were projecting way outside the body. And we're trying to determine what the proper size shoulder pad was. And if there's too much projection, will it cause, you know, more more or less concussions? And is it better for the hitter or the hitty and all these different things? And I looked at that picture and I'm like, hey, why can't we do that with a goalie chest protector? Because, you know, the hardest part is to sell people on when you're reducing something. It's like, well, it's easy to sell if I show that this piece of the shoulder is 18 inches outside the body. It's not protecting yeah. anything. And you can see, you know, a 3D rendition you know, of the body underneath it. So that's where we started. And we took all the existing units that guys were wearing a couple of years ago and put it through this process. And then we try to refine what we wanted our standard to be based on what was in existence, what we liked, what we didn't like. All of them were acting, you know, doing a good job of protecting guys. You know, it's kind of how we came to a standard. Now that's the new way of doing things. We, you know, you put it on a mannequin. This mannequin's the same every time. You do the same scan by the same company, by the same people, and all of a sudden the companies adapt. And now they know when they build a new model, it has to go to this process instead of just coming in and Kay has the eyeball tests and sometimes Kay's eyes aren't as good as they used to be. And you get into a unit where you're like, oh man, I wish I would have never approved that. But you know, the rules were seven inch wide floater here and seven inch elbow. Everything else was kind of, well, it's close. But now I think we, we, we buckled down on the rule and put a lot more, you know, you know, a lot more teeth in the rule and it's harder to get around and it's easier to, to police and maintain and implement. And I think that's uh, how we got here. But I think to your point, yeah, I think the early part of the year was rough. You know, I think, you know, getting it rolled out, getting it to the guys as early as they ask for and I really want to it never happens because I we have little control over the you know the production That's manufacturing. Manufacturing is even if it's a new year for pants, chest protectors whatever, they still have the way they're going to do it. They're yeah. going to build their pads, they're going to build their gloves, they're going to build you know fit this stuff in when they can and you know yeah, they want to get the guys their stuff, but they don't really you know, it's not that big a priority to them. So that's leaves you ha- answering questions. Well, how come I didn't get mine until July, you know, September 1st? But, you know, we got some guys in them in August. We got some companies got their units out for some of the big camps, like the one in Kelowna and that, where there was some instant feedback, some of it not really good, but it helped, you know, 
spur the process on so any feedback at when something new is coming out is good so then we can address it if there's you know underprotected or anything like that or the guys were finding problems and it just started to evolve and we got you know once camp started we got guys in them and every company started to get their scent and some earlier than others but you know there's guys that were more proactive i remember middle of august hearing from new york and said hey uh hank might get hit in the, the tricep here can we add a pad yep never heard from him again like this so we tried to address every goalie is concerned one-on-one face you know just do it personally and there's been a, there was some conversations on FaceTime with guys that said hey my my new one I can't even take my mask off this what's going on with this thing so I think we worked through all that in August September October you know then the season oh, because started. their hands couldn't reach couldn't reach or... their mask they thought it was too stiff like oh, okay, they, they yeah. actually wanted a smaller unit so oh. there were just guys that yeah. were because part of this thing when you make changes is some of the older guys have been in units since they were probably in midget or junior hockey and they've they've stayed in it their comfort level was there and it may have been you know the same size as i try to create but the company that they were wearing decided not to build that old model anymore and they wanted everyone in the new one so we had to find remedies for these situations and fortunately we had five or six companies building units at the time so the goalies had a lot of choice and the union supported that hey if you don't like this exactly try something else and i think the equipment managers that were very proactive with this as well ordered four or five different companies for their goalies and had them in the back room and the guys would come in and play around and they'd try it and go hey i really like this i don't like this how about this part on this part and you know then we got into some frankensteining things where guys like the arms on this one the shoulders on this yeah that, and that freaked me out i didn't you know, see that one that coming. was you know i should have known it was going to come because if you go and see player shoulder pads there's you can see yeah. a certain kind of cap here a certain vest here different parts over here so players you know you find a comfort in that and we had to find a way around it but it went back to the same process if you want to take one guy's shoulder floater with a different arm and someone else's chest let's send it put it on the mannequin and make sure it you know meets the slope and width criteria and if it does then i'm okay with that so you had to test the whole unit together not just approve arms and approve so if if manufacturer a's chest and arm was approved and manufacturer b's chest and arms were approved and you put them together like in some Frankenstein arms and, and chest you still had to put that on the mannequin to make sure yeah it fit. I didn't wow. want to I didn't want to go out on a limb and get back into the soup where we were before where yeah. all of a sudden someone's doing it because they found a way to make yeah. take the biggest parts of each one which is it's my biggest fear is always if one company is so much more popular than the others yeah. it means there must be something to it from a yeah. goalie but that's my, my my antenna go up but or it could be just that they did a better job but you got to kind of sift through all that and say okay unfortunately there was a lot of it was spread out so i'm like that's comforting because maybe you know the playing field's pretty level guys are, are migrating to where they feel they like and if one guy likes it stiffer one guy likes it softer one guy likes this but they're all within the same sizes then we're accomplishing the goal we wanted but i didn't want to take a chance if you know company a's full unit was approved and you put something from company b on that a i didn't want to take that chance so we just went through the same process and it was quick it was like yep that floater works on that one and oh by the way those arms work on that one so we have several of those you know i know it wasn't an ideal situation but i don't think the goalies were doing it in any other reason other than to try to find that comfort level that they had in prior seasons and i think that was i'm I'm okay with that was there a point during the year where you thought "We're, we're through this where where the 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 talk the chatter kind of quieted down yeah i think i'm trying to think about when the chatter was at its uh you know was at a fever pitch there for a while whereas every day you picked up the paper and there was six or seven guys 
the similar guys and a lot of guys that I'd already talked to. And, you know, I think some of the, some of them were legit. Some guys were wearing units where we, yeah, we changed the geometry of the arm, but we didn't ask them to change the, the protection level and mm -hmm. some foams were inadequate and that's, so we had to work through those really quickly. And then there were others where guys just weren't playing well. There were some guys that didn't like their statistics, and um, I'm sure if I let in five or six and you interviewed me after the game about my equipment, I'm probably not going to be overly yeah. happy to discuss it. And I think there's a lot of those, you know, I took a lot of the quotes that I read, out of, they were out of context a little bit because I'd previously talked to the guys and I followed up with them after. And the conversation after wasn't exactly what was said in the, in some of the articles and stuff like that. So I think the guys were good. I just, you know, tried to get out in front of it and, you know, we tried to be transparent through this whole process. So if someone had a concern and they thought we did something wrong or they were unhappy, you know, Hey, here's my number. Call me any time of day and let's work through this. And if it's legit, we'll fix it. If not, then, you know, cause we've got a lot of other guys that are playing, playing well and not saying a damn thing. Right. There was a right. lot of quiet, you know, nobody, it's, but it's not a sexy story to go ask a guy in Detroit or in wherever he's playing, hey, you love your chest protector? Well, yeah. You, yeah, nobody's going to say that. It's just, it's it's Squeaky know, wheel. Squeaky wheel, and you're all in the same kind of, you know, you're all goalies, and you're, why, why do that? Why step outside the box yeah. when you don't have to? But, you know, the silence also made me feel good that there's a lot of guys out there that are playing really well in various companies' units, and uh, we're going to get through this. And, you know, even talking to the Players Association, Matthew said, hey, this keep dealing with it. You're doing a good job. Keep dealing with the guys one-on-one. -on -one. This Sooner or later, this will go away, and I don't know we got through November or so, and then it just becomes the new normal. And then yeah. companies have taken these ideas or the concerns that the goalies had and implemented them into generation two models or gen three models. And now they've got exactly what they want. And then, uh, so when you start to see repeat orders coming through, um, it's a good feeling. And the guys start to, uh, you know, they just, they, they've settled in and, and they're just continue to play. Some bruising, I'm sure, but nobody got hurt. Uh, that that might be the maybe the biggest surprise to me is you got through it without any injuries. Maybe surprise might be the wrong word, but relief or whatever you want to want to use. But there wasn't any of that. There were some guys complaining about getting hitting some soft spots. Yeah, no, I I think to to be completely honest with you, Darren, I think that was a concern every night. I think when you do something like this, uh, a serious injury or an injury period could derail the whole project. And we go back to say, Hey, you know, you know, I think there were some guys thought, you know, with some of the bruising comments and that there's just going to be an arbitrary, Hey, this is it. We're, we're, we're backing off, put your old units on. But it was like, no, we're not changing. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of pictures. I've seen some bruises, but the conversation. Guys are sending in bruises? There was through the equipment, man. Yeah, yeah there were guys. It's like, like one guy was like, well, I thought I was supposed to send these in. It's like, well, who told you that? Like, it was just like, and the funny part about the one bruise I got was it wasn't even an area that we changed. You know, like the chest itself, the the vest was the, the ribs and the blocking area, the blocks on the on the chest protector wasn't something we changed. So I was like. Why did I get this picture of a guy's bruised ribs? It doesn't make any sense. But I think, you know, that was, you know, it just was part of the whole thing. And But when you have conversations with some guys, there's still a lot of guys who are like, hey, it's occupational hazard. You're going to get bruised. Yeah. You're going to get stingers. You're going to get hit and all these things. It just, you know, the topic Cause of... Because that's your era, right? Right. It hurt. It hurt a little bit. Yeah. You you know, you that era when you went from the two-piece, the the arm and the chest were separate. Yeah. There was a lot of bruising under the under the armpit and all those areas, and the companies have done a great oh, job of armpit, adapting. Like, the armpit, when you were a young kid and you got your first John Brown and you didn't get bruised anymore, yeah. you were like, oh, I might have a chance of making it, mm -hmm. right? And I think you're, even though you built the best stuff nowadays, there's still... 
going to be some shots. You watch every night and you go, wow, what a shot. Guys are shooting so hard. They're, they're coming right up to the white tees and they're banging one off the guy's shoulder. But like you said, we, we tried it. We tracked the injury data, the la, you know, the contusions and bruises, and there was no spike in that uh, through All-Star. There was no spike in through the March meetings. There was no spike earlier in the season when, when everyone was talking about it. And I, you know, I think anyone that needed a little bit more um, got what they needed without altering the shape. Um, then there were guys that were taking a padding out because they felt like they couldn't move. So it, the, that's the part that it's you crazy. It's hard to explain to people is that there's I don't know if it's just comfort level or pain threshold or what, but there were guys want to take the floaters off their chest protector or they wanted to take the thickness. Are they allowed out of to do chest. that? Yeah, really. As long as yeah, like I've I've never been one that would stand in their way of removing things as long as I felt it didn't put them in harm's way. No. But I think some of the we, you know, we had this discussion in Nashville at All Star when we were really getting into this project was like, is the floater really necessary over your shoulder because the vest blocks and all that stuff are so thick that you could probably survive without them, but it's become part of the unit. But you know we had a guy that tried without it, felt like he moved better. So you know like as long as he's not getting hurt. And it's his choice, right? So it's 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 not. Believe me, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So somebody took. They play right now without a floater. Uh yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's uh, it's an interesting look, but it sure is. It sure makes the slope of the shoulders and the width of the yeah. unit um, look great. You know. So. Uh, so are you through it now? This whole multi-year, multi-equipment transition. Well, I, I think the. The big part was the size specific or the, the fitting the guys properly with the chest and the pant. Was That that was one that was kind of t t tied together from the get-go. I think we're through that now. I think we've resized the pants. We have fit one, two, three, four, or small, medium, large, extra large. We yeah. have the same in the chest. We have... You know, we have units now that are new that are coming in and they get scanned and they're off by a three quarters of an inch on each side. We're down to we're down to jaywalking now. So I think we've got it down where the, this part is great, but but between pads, pants, and yeah. upper body, this is how goalies are going to look for a few years. This is probably yeah. I think obviously you you this the mo the minute you stop, somebody <laughs> yeah. finds something else because. I think goalie coaches are incredible. I think manufacturers find different ways to improve their products. But I think this is, we've set this the way these are going to be. But, you know, you got to keep monitoring. When we did the pad length, pads, you know, sat on top of the skate. The toe strap was fairly a decent length. There were boot straps underneath your skate or across the back. Then we have the evolution of the, the loop at the back of the skate. The, the, boot the boot strap, carry takes it off, so everybody takes it off. Yeah. Then the toe lace gets a little longer like Kondo had in Montreal. Like, so now the pad drifts a little bit more up the leg, so you have to be concerned with, hey, is this pad going back to where we took the two inches off before? And Because you, you know, there's no directions on how to wear this stuff. When you send, you make a rule, you, you know, the understanding is the pad sits on the laces of your skate. Well, you look at a lot of them now they're touching yeah. on the toe the increase the boot angle now takes the pad and goes straight up the leg which we accounted for with the measuring system we have now because you know boot breaks a boot break at 90 sits nicely on your foot which would have been a nice rule we should just put a 90 degree boot break in but yeah. that was that kind of limited you know some of the design ideas and yeah we'd probably put more rebounds back in the slot not in the corner because that's kind of one of the big ideas behind the boot break being so steep but it also ran you know it took a 38 inch pad when you measured it the old way and ran it way up the leg so we had to if you wanted a steep boot break you had to cut your pads down but now if the pads 
aren't worn tight and they're moving, is this something we have to look at again? Now you get the calf strap at the back of the calf. Some guys use it to keep the pad higher off higher. the leg. And then but someone, a kid the other day told me he needs it because he finds the pad travels too much and he's falling off his knee lifts. So mm-hmm. six and one, half dozen of the other. But I think the thigh rise thing is always something we'll be kicking around. Um, you know, not to say we want to go back, you know, when you see the old pictures of Kelly Rudy or what it used to be like, but I think the, the argument would be between the current measuring system that takes two leg measurements, the lower and the upper, and says, is this really necessary? Like, at what point is your knee covered and your pad is starting to go so far up your leg that it's a pant issue? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, are we giving the taller guy with the upper, you know, most guys that are six, six and up have a way bigger shin than you and I. You know, yeah. if, if you're at 20 and I'm at 20, some guys like that, they're 24 inch shin, 23 and a half inch shin. You're looking at a four inch longer pad already if you just base it off shin size. And then if your upper thigh is big as well, you're getting another advantage. So sometimes the amount of pad above your knee blocks could be as much as 14 inches. Right. So the argument from some guys, you know, active players today, like, should we cap the thigh rise? So everyone's thigh rise is the same. And that was that was a discussion back with Glenn Healy when he was at the union when we created this whole system about the proportionality thing. So I think that's something that will always, you know, be in the on the back burner. And would it help? Because if the guys are protected and everyone, you know, the playing field's level, everyone has the same amount of pad above the leg, you know, does this, you know, do you see more goalies maybe that five nine, five ten? You know, does everyone want to draft a six seven goalie now because you know, I'm not saying it's because of the equipment, but it's also because they're damn athletic and they're incredible at that size. But does would this play into, you know, making the you know the, the under six foot goalie come back again? But these are conversations that I have with myself every day because I look at these things and I see I know that I've cut mine way down because I can't move in them. But guys find a way to do it. But I think this is something that. You know, I've been talking, I've talked to goalies before where some agree with it, some disagree with it. And, you know, if it ever got, you know, it came to, it might be a discussion point at some point at the competition committee level. Uh, do you inspect every piece of equipment that are, that is worn? Yeah. So there's not, it's, it's not just like uh, a random, they submit it and you, you look at three or four. I, I'm just, just from a pure time sense. Your office just must be full of gear nonstop. Yeah, I, th- I think, I forget whose idea this was in the first place. The clearinghouse process seemed like a great idea up front. It might have been yeah. Kinger's as he was handing the goalie torch right. off to me. <laughs> yeah. um, but guys were getting two, three pair of pads a year, and mm-hmm. it, was, you know, it was manageable. And then, you know, I think last year we had a guy with 13 pair of pads. 13. You know, I think it's, you know, as soon as it's soft, it gets in your head. Soft means mm-hmm. weak. Yeah. So every two and a half weeks, I need a new pair of pads right away and you know get a guy with 36 catch gloves already you know into march here so the the, the amount of equipment we're approaching probably 5,000 pieces of equipment a year because you're talking not just the 60 some nhl goalies but you got their counterparts in their system in the american league and you've got guys in the coast and you know sometimes even you know get the southern professional all these different leagues usually sometime at some point the gear starts coming through and it's good because some nights, you know, you get you've heard all these situations where you got an emergency goaltender. Yeah. Or, Do they have to wear know, approved gear? Yeah. The emergency the backup emergency guys. Emergency backups don't. We've had a we've had a hard enough time getting emergency backups <laughs> like, to throw that now now that another wrinkle in there would be a big problem. But yeah. uh, what if you're an emergency call up, like from Major Junior? If you're an emergency call up, yes. So yeah. you take for instance in Vancouver when Di Pietro came, yeah. they had a pair of pro gear for him that was made in camp. 
So you know, okay. there's been situations like that. I remember one year, I think a kid got called up in Pittsburgh. They were in Vancouver. And his two options that day were to wear a pair of Fleury's pads or a pair of Brent Johnson's You're pads. You're right about that. And he went in and f- forget which pair, but he let Flowers. the first shot in. And then he stopped the next 19. He was third star of the game. But that, the guy, that was the rules. Like, it's mm-hmm. at the end of the year... All I have to answer to the teams is like we missed the playoffs by one point, and that point was by a goalie that wore an illegal pair of pads. I don't want that. No, you know. So I think that's the, that's why it's a lot more work to, to clear things through the office. But to know, you know, I think one of the first years I was on the job, and I it involved Adam Burkhol, who works for Vaughn now, is that Atlanta had like six or seven goalies hurt. And the seventh goalie was coming up to play, and we needed to make sure that his equipment was re- correct and accurate. And lo and behold, I think they were playing the Leafs. The Leafs were in Atlanta, and of course, my phone's ringing off the hook. Hey, so and so's got these red pads on, and say, like, hey, relax. We had a pair to him by game time. It was like there was a lot more juggling back then. But now, if we have everybody in the right size pads, playing wherever they are, and sure, it takes me a few more hours a month or a week to get through that stuff. It's it's comforting to know when I hear, you know, Samuel Montembeau is playing for for uh, Florida tonight. It's like, great, I've seen all his gear. It's it's all been signed off on. Does it take a long time? Absolutely. But, uh, you know. Is it easier, the pro, like, like physically, how to measure the gear? Have you got that down? You've got the equipment. You're still using tape measure. Are you using a model or? I've got a tape measure. I've got a gauge that I put the pads on to check the height. I've got a, a mannequin for the chest protectors to make sure, like, I don't send everyone for a scan, but if there's any doubt in my mind, I've and the companies know that random scans will be done. I've done a couple randoms where I've found, you know, the shoulder caps were an inch too wide on a couple here and there. I'd send them back. So my quality control is better than it's ever been, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess you get it down to a science. You just get the tape measure out, you open the boxes, you start ripping through it, and before you know, four hours is gone. Yeah. But, you know, you know it's never going away, so if you just, just to have it sit there. And, and you also understand what the goalies are going through. They need their gear as fast as you can. So if you try to get it in and out the same day, which doesn't always happen, but the next day or so, um, it's a good feeling when that room's empty. And there's about 60 boxes going out. Saying that, the challenge at, from middle of August to the middle of late September, that that's never happening. It's just every day, and to try to do that out of the 11th floor of an office building, uh, the courier guys aren't crazy about it, especially parking down on Bay Street yeah. after some of the oh, new yeah. parking regulations. Yeah. Uh, and the t- <laughs> There's a lot of challenges to the system, but you know, you think about, and the cost it adds to the teams to get this gear to them approved, but I think it's it, it gives you, that's the first step in policing this whole thing, and then when you randomly check them when you're at a game or something like that, chances are they probably in another set from the, you know, they, they change their stuff so much, but at least you have that comfort level that you know you've already seen it because to go back to where it was when we didn't do this, you'd have to, you'd be on the road every day. Yeah. You just have to check and then there's just too much unknown. And yeah, because you used to stop by the you'd teams. Have to, you used to go to camp and yeah. see all the guys and you'd, you'd see all the teams two or three times a year and you'd be constantly like... I think last year I did one where I was 30, 31 teams and 30 teams in 31 days or something. If you look at the schedule, it's, it's doable, but it's just, it's exhausting, you know, and then you come back to an office that's got 300 boxes in it. So but it's, you don't it's, have, like, there's not an assistant, you don't have an assistant. Not yet. I think this. there's been talk about that, but sometimes. Do I apply? Like, do I apply to Gary apply. or Kinger or, or, or. <laughs> you have to apply to Colin, I guess. Colin, I, yeah, I right. think there's talk about, can you hire like a former goalie to go out and do this inspections? Well. Yeah, but it's there's a way to do it, and there's like, and do you hire someone random that's never done it because maybe they'll do a better job because they'll be harsher? But there's there's things that you need to know. Like, yeah, you know, when you when you go in a team's dressing room and the guy just lost because he got stuck behind the net, 
and you lost 2-1 in New York and you're in his dressing room and he's yelling in a foreign language, you got to know understand how to give him a couple minutes, keep him in your sight, make sure he doesn't change his gear, but then he'll come and talk to you. Like, I, this guy, after you're doing it for a while, you respect them a little bit, they respect you. And it, it's like, that's the hardest part of the job. Yeah. It's like, you wish every guy you were inspecting won 5 nothing because they're in a great mood and they all want to sit around and talk like Marty Buran. Like mm -hmm. that's the best. Yeah. Marty Buran had the longest spot checks ever because he just loves to talk, right? You know, and I just <laughs> So you still I, do I, the spot checks. Yeah. You know, I was in Chicago last week and it, it, it's important to, like I'd never met Colin Delia to met, to talk to him if he ever has questions these guys to know that, you know, pick up the phone. Go in the equipment manager, grab Troy's phone and you guys all call me together. Let's chat. And I think that's the best part is when, you know, they talk to you one on one and you got, you know, you get the obviously 40 home games in Toronto, try to get down there and talk to the goalies every time. And, yeah. you know, it's, it goes a long way, especially when the young guys, not always just about scaring the crap out of them that you're checking their gear. It's just like, do you understand? Do you have a question why we do this or why you do that? And sometimes it's educational. And I don't know, I think that's, I know when we talk to the guys at the player association, some of the young the goalies think that's just as important as doing it as, as making sure that you're around. Equipment managers, Darren Granger doing his 2000th game, LA Kings. One of the best guys. He one of the best Vancouver guys. when I was there. Was he? As an assistant to Patty O'Neill. Yep. I got to know him a We were in the same ago. midget hockey team. Really? Yeah. yeah. He's so. uh, he's a button down guy. He does a great job and um, I joked with him. I sent him a text today. Hopefully this isn't, there's a lot more to go. He's not yeah. that old. No, he's not. 2000's only, he's just uh, tip of the iceberg for him. But equipment managers must be like, oh, this is great because they could say no to people. Like, and, and you don't have to answer that, but that's what I was thinking was people come to them for tweaks and stuff. They, they can say no. One thing you said before, I wish I hadn't, uh, approve that or something like a piece of equipment do you have regret like every now and then regret something where you see and you go i i should take another look at that or yeah i think the the one i was referring to was a chest protector okay. that i didn't like yeah. the way the corners stuck out and made goalies look square and then yeah. every time i got a call about it it was like I had that chance yeah i didn't that was my gut on that was but i try to also be like i said what, where did it fail like it's all like it looks like i don't like it but it's seven inches here seven inches there it, it met fit. all the criteria it's like i need more criteria yeah. it fit and it's protecting guys but it just looks different than these other guys and then i hear it from some of the other goalies where they're seeing the same thing too and they're watching everything and they're right? watching yeah so i think that's touch wood is the best you know the part is the whole chest protector thing started sitting at a meeting in at kettler uh, the capitals practice facility prior to the Sochi Olympics with the U.S. goalies. It was, you know, Corey Schneider was there because he was part of the competition committee. I think uh, you know, Craig Anderson was there and Ryan Miller, but they had to leave. But uh, Johnny Quick and Corey, um, sorry, and Jimmy Howard sat in with the meeting, and the big discussion centered around if I'm 230 and that guy's 170, why do we look the same? So that mm -hmm. was always what we were trying to accomplish was to, to make guys look closer to what they look in real life. Um, and I think we've accomplished that to a sense, other than the fact that these guys are way bigger than people think. Like you, you try to make Anders Nielsen look small. If you've ever yeah. met him and Robin Lehner off the ice, you'll know what I'm talking about. These yeah. guys are the probably biggest guys on their teams. Like physically, like physically, just muscular, barrel chested, and like and shoulders, like Dave Babbage type guys. Yeah. You know, like those guys, like and Wayne Babbage and those yeah. kind of guys used to play. Like, there's more of those guys that are goalies now, I think, than are forwards. Obviously, there's still some big strapping wingers and stuff out there, but you look at some of these goalies. Like I was, like Tampa was in the other day, and you know, I've talked to Louis Domingue in his gear before, but I saw him out of his gear, and he's way, way bigger than I thought he was. Mm -hmm. You know. I thought it was all gear. It's not gear. It's he's just a big. These guys are big, you know. They almost six three, two hundred pound guys. Every goalie. That's what the average is. So it's, that's a, it's a task in its in its own right to try to make someone that big look smaller than they are. But I think that's that was the that was the mission, 
from the goalies themselves. And when the best goalies, some of them that were sitting at that table, was their idea that, and they stayed involved in the process the whole time, it helped, you know, help push things along. Because that's what people would say, well, what's different this time? Why are you going to get it right this time? Well, because A, Rob and Dave from the PA are with me every day. We've gone to these factories. We've been on every call together. We've seen every goalie together. And the best goalies in hockey continue to support it. And if we don't get this done quick, they're going to unsupport it. And they're yeah. going to go back to the wild, wild west and say, Christ, you couldn't do anything about it. We're just going to wear whatever we want to wear. What's the tallest pair of pads you ever measured or ever saw before, before there was regulations that you remember hearing about? Uh, the most, I think the ones I hear about, and I, I, as cleaning out the old drawers and desks, there's a lot of pictures of snowy in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some <laughs> bigger pads, and I see Dave Dryden in some chest protectors and uh, some limos and stuff like that. But I think they were right around 40. 40. 40 with a steeper boot break, so it probably played like a 41, 42, but that's a massive pad. Yeah. Think about it. Come a long way, eh? Come a long way, but I think we were so far behind, and I think we've... We've turned the corner, and now, you know, I think things look, it's, it looks proportional. Mm-hmm. It looks proper. Um, you know, you can never quantify how many more pucks are going in. But, you know, when you do a project like this and you get it up and running and then the NHL is having a resurgence in scoring, it makes you feel So goals good. being up is still is good for you, right? Yeah, I, I think goals being up is great for me and Stephen Walkham. Because whenever right. goals drop to like 5.1, the goalie's Your equipment is rings. massive and the referees yeah. are terrible. Yeah. You know, so I think those were kind of kindred spirits in that sense. But, you know, I, I can honestly say I think at the end of the night if I go home and I, I work out the scores, like if we average six, I'm pretty happy. I think mm-hmm. whether I, – I, I don't know. It, but you still hate being scored on I when you play. I still absolutely hate scoring on, but I, I love watching like, – like people – like you watch the Toronto-Philly game. Yeah. There's a crazy amount of goal scoring. I don't know if I'm crazy, but people seem to like scoring. Yeah. You know, Heels used to say that when he was Give the people as many reasons to stand up and cheer as you can. Yeah, there's going to be some nights, but, you know, you, you make, what did Bob make? How many saves the other night? 48 saves, shutout? Yeah. Well, I think he earned that. That's still pretty exciting too, yeah. right? There's going to be nights like that where it's not all about scoring. It's about scoring chances, and this is the debate all the time. Oh, you're nuts. And, but, no, I think it makes you, I think we never thought that one piece of this would, would increase scoring or whatever, but I think there was a meeting a competition committee meeting at the Park Plaza in New York where the list of ideas ideas under the umbrella of what affects goal scoring. One was coaching, one was style of play, um, goaltender equipment, officiating. So then you have a tweak to the slashing standard. We do some work with equipment. And that was where Ed Snyder made, you know, he was also part of the process where he gave a real passionate speech to everyone in that room. Matthew and I took it personally. was that, can you guys take one more crack at the shoulder pads and chest protector thing? And fortunately, he didn't get to see it this year come to fruition. But I think he was a big driver of, you know, as when it comes from the competition committee level. And, you know, no one said one thing would make a difference. But, you know, the sum of all the parts can, you know, I think it's a great game right now. And obviously, probably most of the credit goes to the players because this talent pool is incredible. They're fast. They're talented. And they, they've been, you know, probably scoring on this style of goalie since they were 10. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been that overlap where the new goalies confuse the old shooters and, you know, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of good things going on. I love the Snyder and Mr. Snyder comment because he, no franchise has had more maligned goaltending right. issues than him. And he still wanted, he still put the overall product ahead of his own team. And, and he took his own team seriously. Uh, before we let you go, do you think we're now at the stage where people are going to start cheating, trying to cheat again? 
where goal, where a goalie is going to start tweaking it because that that that's a sign that we're really that everything's taken care of when they when instead of stopping trying just to comply they're trying to bend the rules or have we have we never left that area no i think like i, I think coley always says and he drives me crazy when he says it is if you're not cheating you're not trying yeah you heard Ray say it on the broadcast, you know, you're knocking the net off or you're doing yeah. this or doing these things. I do think it's probably as a goal, you know, the old goalie in me looks at this objectively now and says there may have never been a more, but then I, I, I you know, it's, is this the most difficult time it's ever been to play goal? Because yeah. it's wide open. The skill level is incredible. The game's so fast now, it's hard to shut it down. You know, obviously it was wide open in the 80s, mid-80s, late 80s too. So some of the old goalies would probably argue with me. You know, the good ones that came out, and you know, when Grant and Byron came out about the goalie interference, you know, yeah. when all the goalies were complaining. Like, yeah, I think every era is hard to... I did that interview. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Like, I think some of the, you know, to compare eras is hard. But I, I think you may be on. Like I think if it gets harder and harder to stop the puck and scoring continues to rise, then inevitably guys are going to be looking for an edge, right? You're always looking mm -hmm. for some sort of edge, whatever it's going to be. So, what's the next thing? Where's where do where are the new thigh boards coming from, or where's the new something? What's it going to be? Like that's you're always trying to be on top of that and see where where are we going from here? Um, I'm sure other sports. I, I would imagine Formula One, NASCAR. When they have 14 guys overlooking each car before a race, inspecting them, I'm sure there's things that those mechanics find. How to get, you know? So and they NASCAR just put big penalties in. Right. So they, those they're always looking because the, the sport's always evolving. I think we have to be cognizant that what is out there and what's coming next. Uh, the, the goalies work harder than anyone in the off season with their coaches. Um, who's going to find something next? What's the new pad now? You know. Yeah. You know, what's the, there's no straps left on the pads. They rotate better than they ever have. All these things, so. I, all I of my stuff's illegal. Right. Like, guarantee, all of it's illegal. Do you use all approved stuff? Like, would all your stuff be approved? I, yeah, I figured, I probably should set a good example. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I'm not, and the skates that we've, that we've been out together, I'm fully on board. I am, and if I can get better, like, more illegal stuff, I will. Yeah, but, you, uh, that's good. You, 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 they would welcome you with open arms in the KHL. <laughs> the KHL, exactly. Our scoring is way low, but no, yeah, I no, I, I try to be as legal as possible. Yeah. Actually, part of it is because I think it sets the right example, but also it's just because I can't move. It's too much work wearing the other stuff. <laughs> I I really like a 32-inch, 10-inch pad. You still do skate saves? I you do. time? It's dangerous, though. It is. Yeah. It's especially if you... That's why I didn't go to the new skate. Really? I realized that it's a habit you can't break. Yeah. Like, you know, like I think what Vasilevsky broke his foot. Yeah. Doing something similar that I would do 25 times, 25 times a game. Right. And I think there's still nights where the puck's coming in a way that you know you probably shouldn't do it, but you do it. So I think I better keep a cowling on my skate for, for the rest of uh, how much more, however many more alumni games I have in me. <laughs> uh, congratulations on, on getting through it. It's been a process. You've been uh, under the the fire of uh of critics at times goaltending and and coaches and managers and you withstood it all so uh i'm i'm really happy for you that you got through this whole thing like it and it has been a process <laughs> i yeah i hear about it at work almost every day it's kind of calmed down now because i think there were people that didn't think this would get done yeah but i i know that i think 
the one thing I'm proud of, and I you know when I got drafted by Emil Francis pretty high in 1985, was he was they were expecting probably more things <laughs> as far as wins and championships 60, 60 and, wins. in Hartford. But I think what I learned over my career was you have to be resilient as a player, and I didn't realize how much that would come in handy after the fact when you really? stop playing. Just you know, no everybody. It seems like some days you got nobody's on your side. Like you got you beat think, down pretty good. You get right? beat down. You're just this is a mess. There's been there were meetings when I started this job where you were challenged every day, and they and they were tough. There were guys who were tough, and it just taken year after year, keep working and chipping away, chipping away, being honest, being showing integrity, and doing it. And then you're in the respect of the managers after a while, to the point now where you make a suggestion, they say, hey, we agree with that. But it's taken a while, like you said. It's been it's been a process, and I'm sure it will be continue to be a process. But I think it's uh, it's one of those things that you know it's like you gotta you always look to the next save. Mm-hmm. That's one of those mentalities that I guess uh, you know some things you learn in school that you don't ever get to do again, like calculus or some of these different things. But Thank goodness. I think looking to the next save, or you know, we talk about like the other night with that goalie's mentality. It's what was Freddie makes that big save. It doesn't matter when that big save is. It doesn't always. It's only. It's not only a big save when you win two one. Yeah. You know, it's still like I mean, Glenn Hanlon was great that way with me in Vancouver. It's like, hey, that save when it was seven uh, seven was great. You know, <laughs> came back to help <laughs> us win the game. But those are those are the things that I guess you you learn along the way as a player, and you, you can apply them sometimes. Now you can go on to other issues. I don't know what those are going to be, but and oh, I don't they're care. always goalie related yeah. issues. <laughs> a lot of videotape. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Kay. Thanks, Darren. My pleasure. It was enjoyable. You know, all the stuff that we talked about with, with Kay Hutch, there's one thing about him that stands out, and that's that's those initials on the equipment. And the first time that I wore gear that, that had those initials, I, I felt I felt kind of special. I, I'm not going to wear them now because I, I'd rather cheat and, and take up more net. But uh, but you did feel like you were you were in an exclusive club with with those initials on your equipment. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember the first time I I saw a set. Um... It didn't really realize what I was looking at, and, and then it then it came to me, and uh, and now every time we see a, a game on TV and there's a close up of a goaltender, you can you can see that little KW often, uh, top of a blocker, bottom of a pad, something like that, and yeah, you feel like you're part of a secret society or something because you understand what's going on there. So what what was the piece of equipment that you had? Well, I you know I'm not sure what the first one was, uh, but um, an interesting story about that. Uh, we, we had a CCM sent us a set of, um, Roberto Luongo's, uh, pads and gloves, um, probably a pro return set or something that maybe he wasn't happy with the color. I can't remember, uh, shipped it out to us and it was a bit of a rush to, to get something into the magazine for an issue that was coming out. And so it actually arrived, um, boxing day, I think it was boxing day and it was delivered by pure later. And I got a notice that it was in the warehouse and, and that we could go pick it up. I guess they didn't want to deliver that day or something. And uh, so I went down to the warehouse and and said, listen, I think I've got a package in there if you guys wouldn't mind checking. And I guess it's probably close to the end of the day on a holiday and everybody would rather be at home. So uh, somebody went into the back room, looked around and came out and said, uh, no, it's not here. And, and you know, I, I was pretty certain from the tracking info I had that it was in the shop. So I said, uh, you know, this is kind of weird to say, but do you think you could just have one little more look because it's uh, it's gear from Roberto Luongo, who was sort of at the height of his fame with the Canucks at the time. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody's ears sort of perked up and they ran into the back and, and looked really hard and magically came out with the gear. So it had been there all along. 
And, uh, and then, of course, I had to unbox it right then and there for them. And uh, all the guys from the warehouse wanted to come out and get their picture taken with, Lu- with Luongo's gear. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, so one of those pads and gloves is still, still sitting upstairs in my son's office or my son's room. Name dropping, Bobby Lou. <laughs> that's, that's as close as I can come to name dropping. Nobody would ever do it for me. Hey, what's your favorite piece of equipment, new equipment to get? Yeah, interesting. Because we heard a lot about uh, about K going through gear upon sets of gear for the same people, and so I, I imagine sometimes you get you get a little old. Yeah, um, getting the pads is all, always fantastic because I remember the first set I ever got as a kid that were that were really sort of pro level stuff, and uh, so every time a new set of those comes in, it's it's really exciting, uh, without a doubt. Just even though we've probably had a chance to see it somewhere else and have our hands on it somewhere else to to see that order you put in realized right in front of you uh it's always it's always really exciting and um so in terms of getting something new it's definitely the pads i think your favorite set of piece of gear i'm going to guess if we ran a poll maybe we should it would be interesting to see what everybody would say but i would guess yeah. that the majority would say uh the glove um it's sort of our bread and butter it's what the windmills are made of um, love it, but uh, but at the same time, I don't say it's my favorite one to get out right away because at the level I play, it takes uh, a long time for a glove to get useful and, and usable. Uh, I'm not facing many many shots that are all that impressive at, at my level in local beer league, so it's probably honestly a couple of years before I really settle into a glove and feel good about it. So I thought it was fascinating to hear Kay say that uh, that there's a guy in the NHL this year who's been through 36 gloves. I just I, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine something being so perfect that you want to that you want to use it right out of the box like that. Oh, there's a sports psychologist making some money right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there there's no doubt about that. Well, uh I there's there's so many people listening uh, to this podcast who would think unpacking new gear every day what a dream job and Kay gets to do it and so does cam at the hockey shop source for sports and that's where we're going to send you for this week's gear segment brought to you by thehockeyshop.com and the hockey shop source for sports here once again is kevin All right, we are back at the hockey shop with Cam Matwiv. You said it right. See, there's a first for everything. I told you I would get it eventually. And this week, we're going to talk about the new CCM Jet Speed FT2 goalie skate, which I think the first thing that jumps out for people is, and there's probably an element of finally, CCM has a cowlingless goalie skate. And it looks like it's going to be a good one with lots of options. Why don't you walk us through some of the features, Cam, with this new skate? Yeah, we I just want to reiterate the fact that finally a cowlingless goal skate from CCM. Um, what so far looks and has felt like a fantastic skate and a great addition to CCM's lineup. Um, I mean, there's quite a few things to cover, but one of the biggest things that you know a lot of guys have highlighted recently is the weight of the skate in particular. Before you even get into any tech and specs, we're talking about what is one of the lightest weight Kalingas goal skates that we have on the wall. Yeah, and we'll play the audio in a minute, but uh, he was a Canuck for about a week. He's in the AHL again. Merrick Mazanik was the first goalie I saw wearing this holder, the XSG, CCM XSG holder. Uh, he had it on a pair of AS1 boots. 
Uh, and that was the thing he said too. He was actually coming from a true skate and I was a little surprised that he said he switched over, but to him, the weight savings were significant. Definitely a little foreshadowing with the AS1 there. We'll get to that in a second. But that said, um, again, weight aside, the skate continues on what CCM has done in the past with their full one-piece boot construction. Their big, big highlight of that note is there is that there's zero energy transfer lost in that, especially between that you know, when you, as soon as you have an outsole of a skate, there's another connection piece of it. There you can have that extra assembly piece where A, something could go wrong with your skate, or B, again, you have that shift. Here, all energy is transferred down to the ice in your push. How does it, how does, what's the difference in terms of a feel and a fit for, for one piece skate? I, full disclosure, we've got a set on the way ourselves, went through the full 3D scan process that you'll get into to make it a custom fit. Um, but in general, if you're just buying it off you at the hockey shop, source for sports here, off the rack and on the foot, how is some what's it, what's that gonna how's that gonna feel different that true one piece construction that CCM has in the Jet Speed FT2 that they also had in the AS1 last year? How does that feel different? Is it more of a wrap around the foot than than a multi piece construction? I think you you hit it on the head right there with the word wrap. Uh, that wrap fit really provides that responsiveness inside the skate that lack of shift when you go to go push you know a lot of that is about sizing which is what we're here for but that said you don't feel that skate kind of uh, buckles really the wrong term but we're going to go with it anyway of it buckling and moving it's it's a consistent plant push so no give basically basically what you're and we've heard this with the true line as well this is what the goalie's like what their foot does, the blade's responding immediately on the ice. There's, as you said, no lost energy transfer. So uh, walk us through then, JetSpeed FT2, some of the uh, some of the features with that XSG holder. For sure. So overall with the holder, A, we got that removable steel, extremely easy. It's basically just uh, turning it, which I believe you guys have a video of. Um, take it out, you can pop that new steel back in, super easy, which is also a carbon blade steel and also a three mil steel, which is something completely different from CCM, who has always previously been four mil. And of course, three mil versus four mil, that's basically a weight savings thing. So again, when we hear guys like Mazanic who are early into it, say how much lighter it is, part of that is is the three mil steel. Um, as far as the, you know, sort of that black steel or, or that carbon edge blade, at least our experience and other brands too, because other brands have adopted this. Uh, for example, with, with the Bauer um, 2S Pro we've been trying, consensus is it's it's roughly cuts your sharpenings in half it'll hold an edge roughly twice as long as standard steel so nice to see ccm which they've had this before nice to see them bring it along with the ft2 that that echoes feedback that we've gotten here in the store as well it's just like, like this steel feels sharper even at a you know what was my regular cutting a regular stainless steel blade without the carbon um it's fantastic addition and i think it, it makes the skate just perform that much better Next features as we walk through the skate. Um, and the other thing too, and CCM has talked about this a little bit with me on the side, the idea of having um, that dial on the heel to unlock the skate is instead of you have to dial it a fair bit before it unlocks, the idea being the trigger function of a quick unlock blade has led to some malfunctioning in other products where the, where you actually lose the blade while you're playing. And, you know, we see the goalies panicking and in Tukarask's case, turning his blade into a shiv and then throwing it across the ice. I thought he was going to kill a referee that day. Um, so the idea here being you're able to change the blades uh, for goalies that we know goalies 
Love to come here to the hockey shop, Sorcerer Sports in Surrey, for sharpenings from Cecil and the crew. Sometimes they'll come as far an hour as an hour away, so they'll buy multiple sets of blades, get them all sharpened at once, and then they can do the quick change. That way they've got multiple sets. They, they don't have to come back all the time, but they're always sharp. So again, the idea is it's an easy change, but not so easy it's going to happen to you on the ice. Ideally, yeah, so you don't have a blade flying across. Not that that happens often with, with the other products. It's pretty rare. It just tends to be spectacular enough that everybody notices it. And on national television. Right. That all aside, one of the other things that I really want to talk about is the asymmetric flex that this skate can take. Now, it seems like a big flashy tag word, but really it's about that forward flex while you're standing inside the skate. Um, it allows for great rotation of that skate now coming down to the ice and picking itself back up and out and setting you into a stance without having what I call almost that little bit of a stumble forward. You'll see some goalies that go to go C-cut and they catch and they almost kind of trip forward before they before they stand back up properly in their stance. This You've been watching me fall all over the place, evidently. I must have been watching some game film from Kevin Bobbio, I will say. But... That's, again, just called, that's not the skates. That's just called bad goaltending, folks, just so you know. But, <laughs> but the idea here is there is some forward flex there, and so you're not, you're not restricted too much in your movement. Correct. But, again, rewinding back to the blades, that can be a little bit of a trip to the front of the blade. Now, I'm going to lack a terminology moment for this, and the best way I can kind of say it is, is just the way that the blade is cut, so it tips up a little bit, um, allowing for a little bit more stability and also an additional um, place for your toe to push off of just some extra steel and i think you got a bit of that uh that Mizanic was talking about yeah merrick Mizanic talked about this actually and it took me a while you, you mentioned the terminology it, it's tough because i didn't know what he was talking about he talked about it being angled and i wasn't sure you can check our instagram we'll make sure we highlight this for people before they listen to this um but it's actually where the holder rather than the holder running straight across at the heel and the toe the holder cuts up so you're right there's more exposed blade and Mazanic felt like you know especially pushing when you're pushing off the toe he felt it was even easier to grab an edge using that xsg holder definitely I, like so far again i haven't tested the skate out myself but uh our early tester uh jonathan and jono most of you know him as uh, he really noticed that and he actually did call it out in the review of the skate which is up on our website as well hockeyshop.com thehockeyshop.com is where you can see that early review okay let's move over uh if there's no other features right now to go through let's let's move over to the to the custom side um, because there's two options in custom for this new skate and this new cowlingless option from CCM for goalies. Uh, let's, you know, there's kind of two, walk us through the first one. And that's, you know, that's the 3D mold custom. Eight to 10 days delivery they're talking about right now. What does that involve? And how is it different from me buying it off the rack here and getting it heat molded on site? Yeah, so how that differs from, uh, again, what you mentioned there is that basically, you know, what, what CCM is doing is, or what we would do first is actually scan your foot. Uh, we send that into CCM. CCM builds a 3D mold of your foot, takes a stock skate, and molds it around it. Um, and then that gets turned around. And again, it's about that, we'll call it about a 10-day process. And so that is, they're actually taking, again, you, so you get a 3D scanned in store. Correct. They take all that information, that 3D scan of your foot, and they create a mold, basically an exact replica of your foot in the factory. And I think one of the, the key points that they stress to me is, unlike some other molds, they actually go right up over the ankle bone 
And so they're creating not just your foot, but right up over that ankle bone. So any sort of uniqueness in terms of, you know, if you've broken it, I mean, I have a guy who's broken my foot multiple times, got a few places that stick out here and there. Um, that 3D scan is going to capture it. That mold they make is going to capture it. And then they heat mold around that all the way up to the ankles. And so heat molding there versus heat molding in store on the floor here, if I were to buy it off the rack from you, just allows them, as I understand it, almost to like, heat it up more it's like a super mold really make sure that that mold is kind of created to your foot and stays that way correct i mean our, our process in store is basically what it is five minutes in the oven and you know about 10 minutes on your feet whereas there you know I, I don't know how long they heat it up for or how long they leave it on but i mean keep in mind this is now set on an industrial scale to a point right so you, you're getting it's a lot hotter you're not putting your foot in this one exactly exactly so it's fully molded fully wrapped around so when we go and try on that skate for that first time it should fit like a glove and obviously when they heat it up that much you don't want to be sticking your little foot now the one thing i have i got to admit when they explained this to me the first time over a year ago and tell me if you went through the same thing i'm kind of picturing like this giant like pile of like old foot molds behind a factory after they use them but evidently they keep it and they keep the molds on file because they figure once you like it, especially if you're not growing anymore, you're probably going to order more in the future. So I think you, you predicted the future with your vision because in theory, that's what their warehouse is going to look like. They're going to have a bunch of all these foot molds Feet. everywhere. Feet, exactly, exactly. Okay, so it, this sounded a little creepy, and in my <laughs> mind it's a little creepy, and you may have nightmares about it, people, but your feet are going to thank you because evidently the fit, talking to Marc-Andre Fleury, who went through this for his AS1 skates last year and is still in them. I'm mm -hmm. um, talking to Merrick Mazanik, who went through this process. Uh, they both really like the way this fit. Now, that's not the only, the 3D custom mold is not the only process. There is a full custom that you can get as well. That takes four weeks instead of eight to 10 days. Gives you some more options. Can you walk us through some of those options in CCM's full custom program for this year? Okay, so the initial process is the same. Same scan idea, um, same fact that they're going to build this 3D mold of your foot. They're going to make a fake foot. But this is where it now differs because now they're constructing that skate completely around that last of uh what we'll call it a last of not, foot. they're not just molding the skate around it they're building they're it building it. and that's correct so now rather than again having some areas punched out by again the mold of the foot they can literally pre-punch that area add more foam where you're going to need it you get the options of changing your tongue you get better dialing in terms of for sizing you know a lot of us have one size foot that's uh, bigger than the other this can accommodate for that um quarter sizes exactly exactly so we we really do take it to that next level and we want to stress that that's again for you know especially that have people that have unique features in their foot this is this is what this is yes for, for yeah sure. and the full custom also gives you little 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 perks like for example if you want your name or your number stitched onto the tongue little perks like that that come in the full custom four weeks the other thing you can do in full custom that you can't in in the 3d molded custom is you can get the as1 boot um with the xsg no cowling holder uh, and I think there are, you know, again, depending on how your foot scans, there might be a little bit of a different uh, fit between the two. You may, your foot may be shaped better for the AS1. That may be one reason you go that way. Also, just a lot of people that had the AS1 skate really like the fit of that boot. So that'll be an option on that side. The one caveat we got from CCM, you may have people that look at that and say, I really love my AS1 boot. Why don't I just take off the cowling that I had that I bought last year and slap an XSG holder? 
would not recommend it. The no. a, yeah, the <laughs> AS1 that they're going to build for you this year comes with a reinforced toe cap that, of course, wouldn't have been needed on last year's because it had a cowling around the front of the toe. And also just the, the footbed has more support in the full custom AS1 boot to allow that XSG holder to be bolted on there and and firmly. So you're not, you know, what's the point of having a skate where you don't lose any energy transfer if you lose it in the bond between the skate and the holder. So if you're thinking about, hey, I can, this is a DIY project for me. I can make my old AS1 boot onto a new XSG holder. Think twice. Yeah, that's correct. And especially, let's not forget about that toe cap being double molded specifically to go with the cowlingless design. So, you know, quite a bit different from what the stock skate is on the wall. All right. April 26 is when we'll see this in store. Correct. And we'll give a couple of lower price points that we'll go over later as well. Not not quite as many bells and whistles, not quite as many features, but some other options. Um, but in the meantime, you can check out a full review of it. Jono's had it on the ice. He's been able to match what we just told you in terms of tech specs to how he feels in it on the ice, sort of match how it's supposed to feel which, with, with how it does, how the features are supposed to manifest themselves to how they do on the ice. So make sure you check it out. As I, I believe it's actually the first on-ice testing I've seen uh, of the JetSpeed FT2 with that XSG holder. That's at thehockeyshop.com. And, of course, April 26th, you come in-store or contact them, order yours. In-store here in Surrey, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Uh, Cam Matwiv, and I got it right. Look at that, twice in the same podcast. Woo-woo! Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Kevin. I have trouble with this one because I feel like I'm overselling it, but molded, this this 3D molded boot for goalies, it, 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 it's it's life-changing. I, I, I have one, not not the CCM, but the True, and it, it feels like slippers. And it's also interesting hearing what Kay said, that he didn't go to a, a Calvin Lascade because he still makes Kate saves right. and he didn't, didn't want to get hurt. But, uh, but Hutch, uh, do, have, have you tried this new way, whether it be True or CCM or the Bauer or whatever, this new molded? I, I personally haven't had the chance. We uh, we have our order going in for, for a set of the new CCMs and really excited to, to try them out. I, I, I was on the ice last night and one of my feet was really hurting because just the skates aren't quite quite there. And uh, it's, a, for me, about the most distracting thing that, that can happen. And combine that with uh, coaching in the summer where you're on the ice for four, five, six hours a day, uh, I, I think this is just a game changer. Um, there's nothing that needs to fit well more than than a pair of skates. I, I can't wait. And it'll blow people's minds when you, when you go down a size or half a size, mm. and you think, "How can I do that? I've worn the same size forever, like the uh, the adult guys." And but but it's so you you realize how much space you're really wasting uh, on the traditional sizing of skates. Well, and your two feet are always almost always slightly different size so they can accommodate mm -hmm. that um i've got these crazy wide feet so they're never comfortable in anything um yeah i ev everybody is unique and yet that's one one piece that we haven't really looked after very well over the years i don't think although i really miss my old lang goalie skates anybody ever use those they were they were plastic on the outside and they squeaked uh, a special way as we walked down the hallway. Um, but they had this really, really soft foam in them that probably would have caused all sorts of, uh, you know, force transfer issues today or something. But they did make them feel a little bit like a pair of slippers. Um, I imagine those things 
walking to the ice would have sounded like what the stormtroopers did w- walking down the hallway. Yeah, all, well, all the squeaks and the and the plastic and and the foam and all that kind of junk. Absolutely. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist uh, was was through Vancouver recently, the New York Rangers uh, and their transition, and it's interesting to watch what Hank has done because there were some questions about whether or not he would be able to survive what the New York Rangers are attempting to do. And what you're going to, uh, to get out of a, a conversation that, that Woody had with Hank is that he's not only surviving, but thriving, and, and he's all in. Here's Henrik Lundqvist in conversation post-practice with Kevin. I wanted to ask you a little bit was patience, Henrik. I mean, it's. I mean, I, I'm watching you in practice. I'm watching you on shots that I know 80% of the league goes down on, and y- your ability to sort of hold edges and, and and hold skates on shots. Where does that come from for you? What do you think the keys are? The key for for me really when I play my 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 game is to be patient and read the shot. And I play pretty deep, so it gives me also a little extra time to read the shot. Um, when I'm too aggressive, I think the only option I have is to go down. But when my stands are high and I'm deep and and confident, I usually I'm, I'm, I'm more patient as well. So then, especially on the high shots, I want to be able to stand up. Usually that's a good sign for me. If I stand up on high shots, it means I'm, I'm patient enough and I'm making good reads. How would you teach that to a kid? Like if you were, you know, if Henrik Lundqvist changed hats to a goalie coach, yeah. I mean, how would you try and manifest that for a kid, get them to learn that type of... Well, I, a lot of a lot of it is trust, trusting yourself that sometimes it feels like your gap in your five hole is so huge that you have to always go down and close it. But I think you have enough time to do so. It, it comes down to trust that you stand up and you wait for the shot. And if he happens to go low, you're going to have enough time to close it, even though you, you wait for that release. And but a lot of times you, you it's also reading the stick. You know, I'm, I'm reading the shot more than waiting for it to come at me. Uh, so sometimes when they miss a shot, that's when it really fools you. So, uh, you know, sometimes in practice, I actually have to ask guys. I read the shot high, I stand up, they miss the shot, he goes five hole. And then right away, did you try to go five hole? Because I need to know if my read was right. Uh, and for the most part, you know, they... they um, they come clean and say they're fanned on it and, and it, you know that's why it went low but for the most part when i think um especially now over the years i learned how to to look at the stick and the release and um you get used to a certain angle on the stick and then you know if it's going to go high or low but of course you, you, you do make mistakes and it's not always the players shoot exactly where they want to shoot it as well We've seen deception too. These young kids are learning to show one thing and deliver another. Are you having to stay even more patient, following that puck right through the release of that stick blade? Yeah, but but like you said, it's it's getting hard. Guys are really good, and they they make you believe something, and then do something completely different. You know, the the way they released the puck today have developed so much over the last five six years. You see the young kids coming into the league now, how fast they can shoot and how hard they can shoot it. Uh, and obviously the technology and the sticks have, have made a huge difference as well, but there's no question the skill level now in the players are, are really high and it makes it pretty challenging to be a goalie, I would say. Last one. Ben Wilder told me in your, I think it might have been your first season, that he knew you would be good. It's easy. It would be easy to say now, but he said this after year one, 
because of your ability to learn things quickly and adapt. Where does that come from from you? Has that always been part of your game? And what, what would you say over all these years? What's the biggest one? Well, so I would say one thing. I grew up without a goalie coach, really. It was more when I turned 17, 18, 19, I started to work with a goalie coach. But before that, I was very open-minded how to play the game. I watch other goalies. I watch NHL goalies, Swedish elite goalies. Uh, and I just picked stuff that I liked. So I've, I've always been pretty open-minded of learning new things and try to, um, yeah, just try new things in practice. Uh, I don't think there's one way of playing goalie, you know. There, there's a lot of different ways. You just need to commit to a certain style, I guess. But there's always room for learning and um, and also change. The game changes, so you got to be open to change your game as well. So Is it I, constant for you, like still ongoing even now? Uh, yeah, I, I try to adjust certain things, but I also try to stay true to my own game, you know. I know what I need to do to have or to, to play my best game. But like I said, the game has changed. I try to um, adjust to that, you know. Uh, but there's definitely certain things that the new kids in the league are doing really well that I can't do. And I just got to accept that. Henrik only had a couple minutes for us uh, on this trip. He had some friends he had to catch up, and he was late for a meeting, in part because he stayed out for the full hour of an optional skate at age 37 with only eight shooters in a season in which the team has been out of the playoffs for probably more than a month, which to me, you know, we had it on our Instagram. You saw the work ethic. Never stop battling in that practice. Um, to me, that says a lot about why he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, why he's coming up and, and maybe at 450 by the time you hear this, 450 wins, uh, only the sixth goaltender in NHL history to do that. So he was a little pressed for time. We did manage to get five minutes, went into the stick room for a little bit of quiet uh, away from the scrums of the locker room, uh, but he promised us we'd catch up on the phone and maybe do a longer interview. Now, um, to me, the things that stood out watching him on the ice, and that's what led to the questions about patience and about his adaptability, uh, were just how often he made saves standing up in practice. It really was remarkable to watch, guys. Uh, the patience that this guy has is is not an accident. Uh, and you ter- heard him talk about the keys to it, but it really is a treat to watch. And not just in games. You'll see him where he doesn't default down. Uh, he'll drop one knee. Uh, sometimes just stand up on both skates. It really stands out in practice and watching the Rangers practice, just how hard he works on that patience. When you see it in a game, it is not a fluke. He puts a lot of effort into it every time he's on the ice. And then the question about adaptability um, was one that came from an interview I had with uh, his goalie coach, Ben Waller, years ago. We had it uh, we had it in, in Goal Magazine as a feature on him. Uh, way early in his career. And what Benoit said is he reminded him of Tiger Woods, Henrik did early in his career. And that's why he knew he would be great because he was always able to adapt and change his game so quickly. And in, in, in the words of Benoit Lair to him, that's what that's what truly makes the great goaltenders their ability to adapt. So that's why I asked Henrik that. And it was interesting to hear his response in terms of you know not having a goaltending coach growing up. He's a hard worker. He, you're not going to say there's. He's so passionate. He's so intense. But Woodley being able to take you inside a, a practice like that, and how much Hank uh, left out there, and and how much he focuses on on the changes in the game is is 
also what jumped out at me. A common theme that keeps coming up for us is deception and shooters today. And it was interesting to hear uh, Lundquist talk about that and the skill that all these young guys coming into the game have. And and maybe the fact that things are, are changing fairly quickly here in, in those terms, in terms of the skill that the young shooters have, uh, might explain why some of these young guys are being so successful so quickly as they uh, come in to face some guys that haven't uh, haven't grown up with that. Um, and, and also interesting what a student of the game he is, that he would stop a, a player in the middle of practice and say, hey, were you intending to do that so I can learn my read? Yeah. Um, and then, then just Kevin talking about the amount of work that he's putting in at the end of practice, I thought it's an optional skate, but if you're Hank's backup, there's no optional skates. I mean, if he's putting that work in, uh, you have no choice. <laughs> I also love the part about standing up, and we all know, like if you're standing up, then you're reading the release. You're sort of you're you're in a uh, higher level of of the zone uh, because you're able to track the release and and make those saves with your with your hands or your upper body without going down. But he, but the the part about trusting that you can get down into your five hole, but sometimes it just feels so big that you have to just default to yeah. collapsing. Every person's been there, every goalie. Of course, we had the luxury of hearing this interview a little bit earlier, so I was on the ice last night, and uh, it's funny, I had it rolling around in my head because I would go down and a puck would sail over the net, and I thought, why am I going down on this? And all of a sudden, the next one I'm making on my feet. and uh, So little tips like that can transition into your game really quickly. Hank also touched on his experience with the goalie coach or the absence of one early in his uh, time tending the twine. That topic spills over to this week's listener question. Back to Kevin. This question comes from Carl Popper, who's the goaltending coach for the women's hockey team at the University of Minnesota, and actually a guy that I've met before at the Network Goaltending Symposium back in Madison. So the special apologies here, Carl, if I've mispronounced your name in any way, shape, or form. That's, that's 100% on me, but I'll be honest, I'm not that bright. Uh, we are, however, honored to get a you know a question from a goalie coach already working at such a high level. So it's a good one, though, so let's get to it. Uh, Carl wanted to know what the importance of the goalie coach-goalie relationship, even when it comes to stuff off the ice, uh, and what the importance of truly knowing your players and whether it can really make a difference in their performance. You know, he said he was most interested in hearing about Mitch Korn's influence with the Islanders, and we have heard from, and we heard from last week, Robin Lehner. Uh, he talked about Mitch having an innate ability to know people and get the best out of them and wondered if that was one of the reasons Islanders goaltenders are performing as well as they are this year. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that the unique personalities that Mitch has there, um, how he works with them, how he manages those personalities in terms of workload and what buttons he pushes, um, it is you. It is different for each guy. And knowing that is very important. I know you know, also that's something that one of his disciples, Steve Briere, has talked about in the past, uh, you know, to the point where he actually does a personality test on each of his goaltenders before he starts working on them, learns how they learn. What are their strengths? Are they visual learners? Do they need to hear things? Uh, personality, strengths, and weaknesses, and sees how their personality actually matches his personality as a coach so that he's cognizant of of that when he goes into working with them unfortunately carl both those guys are off limits to the media both guys we have good relationships and talk to on a regular basis but in terms of on the record mitch on the island with lou lamarillo in charge and poor steve briere now in in toronto despite lou leaving and brandon shanahan taking over is totally off limits when it comes to on the record conversations but we did have a chance to ask frederick anderson 
about the importance of that relationship. And it's probably not a surprise to you, Carl, but it might be to other people. To him, the goalie coach relationship is not just about the X's and O's and drills on the ice. It's almost more important that he's like a sports psychologist in terms of that back and forth and having his back and the way you build that relationship off the ice. I think that you just nailed it. It's it's 99% of, of what goaltending and goal, goalie coaches is really is. It's the, it's the relationship and it's the, it's the way you work together. It's not about what drills you, your goalie coach uh, gives you and that's such a small part of it because especially at this this is level you're you already you already made it to this level and you you're you're maybe trying to perfect some things but you're you're not trying to change your your whole way of playing and your style and so you really just want to make sure you get work done and, and get into good habits and that's obviously the goalie coach one of his jobs is to look at the games and, and look at the opponents of how how they maybe uh, would come and attack you, and and then you, you you do some work to make you feel confident and and ready to go for the game. But but like you said, it's it's just just as much as the mental part is is just keeping your yeah keeping your fresh and keeping uh, yeah keeping the confidence high and, and making sure you're uh, yeah you're ready to go. Woody, so we've got uh, goalie coaches doing drills, a lot of repetitions, some video, and and they're also a sounding board, and that may be the biggest part of it. Uh, it's it's fun listening to these guys take us through all these questions from the from the listeners. Don't forget to keep sending us those listener questions so we can take them into the locker room and have NHL goaltenders um, answer them for you. We're gonna get Hutch to give you the uh, the email address here because I'm an idiot and I always forget it. Not an idiot, Kevin. That's uh, podcast at ingolmag.com. Podcast at ingolmag.com. Keep sending in the questions. And we got some big names coming into town next week, guys. Uh, Ottawa Senators are in town. Craig Anderson, Anders Nilsson, of course. I got to know while he was here with the Canucks for a year and a half. David Riddich and the Calgary Flames on the weekend. And Sergei Bobrovsky, one of my favorite, uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets coming in on the weekend. And then we wrap her up. Guys, we're going to have Ryan Miller in town. We're going to have a chat with him in the coming weeks. Uh, the winningest goaltender among American goaltenders in, in NHL history. Jonathan Quick, who's not far behind him. Ben Bishop, if he's healthy, and Martin Jones. So lots of great guests coming up on the In Goal Podcast. Make sure you send your questions to us um, so we can take them into the locker room and get them answered by these guys. And for next week, though, guys, uh, an interview I'm really looking forward to, and I'm sure everyone's going to get a lot out of it. Uh, it promises to be powerful. We're going to talk with Clint Malarchuk about all his efforts, both about his career on the ice, uh, but about all his efforts in terms of helping people sort of deal with and manage mental health since he's retired in the past co- and, and in the past couple of years. Yeah, I'm really excited about Clint coming on the show. Uh, as you know, quite often these guys, we, we grab them sort of, I don't want to say last minute, but uh, it's as people pop through town, we might or might not get an opportunity, but uh, arranging to have Clint on the show with us has uh, been going on now for, for quite some time and finally realized for this week. So uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, I was I was watching when when the incident happened in his career that he's uh, so well known for, and uh, and I've watched from afar all his efforts for mental health over all these years, and it's of course becoming a really uh, important topic for goaltenders everywhere. So I'm I'm really excited to to see what he has to say, and and as you say, we've got some fantastic uh, people coming through Vancouver this week. So going to be a great show next week, Darren. And and a similar to a conversation that I had with Theron Flurry on, on the Trip Podcast was was we kind of we're so 
drawn to Clint and Theron's uh, roles as ambassadors for mental health and and awareness for that that uh, that their careers themselves become have become totally overshadowed. So uh, I want to talk to Clint a little bit about his time actually playing in the National Hockey League and uh, and, and what went into that and and during the uh, the parts of his career uh, in a couple of different stops. Uh, thanks to uh, Hutch. Uh, have a great week and to to Woody uh, for his contributions and uh, Kay Whitmore from the National Hockey League, Freddie Anderson, Henrik Lundqvist, and of course you, the listener. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports and thehockeyshop.com. Check it out now. I mean, really, like, go check it out now. We're done. Thehockeyshop.com. Go. Check it out. We're finished. Be good. So, so did you go do it? Hockeyshop.com.